Hi, this is Tracy. And this is Kurt. And this is the MFG cast. everybody another episode this episode is sponsored by cardboard because where would we be without cardboard we wouldn't have any games whether they be made out of like plastic or like stone who'd want tin. that tin yeah oh my god that would not be good because then just imagine you're trying to open up you're trying to open up the the like board and it like slices your finger oh i was thinking of the boxes not the game not oh. the actual game <laughs> i was like uh well, forbidden island has tins yeah well just like yeah i suppose i suppose if i'm thinking that they'd all be sharp why would they all be sharp if you had 10 probably be pretty smart to not be 10 i guess i'm sure there are tin connoisseurs out there who would be able to provide some feedback on that that's true that's true and i'm and sure they're listening to this podcast. actually i've got one on line one caller you're on no uh, yes this is jerome <laughs> jerome you have a very feminine voice i've, I've been around a lot of tin you've been around... <laughs> apparently tin makes you more feminine if you're a man <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Oh. oh. Uh, in this episode. And now that everyone's dropped. Yeah, exactly. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> this episode, we're going to be talking about what makes a designer a good designer. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about what we've been playing recently. I'll start. We got have to... you been playing games with me? Yes, I oh. have been playing games with you. And with Mike, actually, too. Oh. I, I want to talk about what me and you have actually been playing recently, because the first one I'd like to talk about that I... At first, when you said you wanted to play it, I wasn't super stoked about it. And then when we played it, I still wasn't super stoked about it. <laughs> I can guess what game you're talking about. Yeah, so we got to bring out an oldie, but not goodie, apparently. Um, Machi Koro. I, we used to... Man, this is a game that we thought was just hot, hot, hot. But we really, really... <laughs> we used really to, in fact, we bought this game again in the... Oh, when they did that special edition that I don't want to say the dark expansion because it wasn't even an expansion and it wasn't dark it was like city yeah like night city or whatever but it was basically with all the expansions included in it and we had already had all the expansions we didn't realize hey folks do your research this was back years and years and years ago yeah exactly but we used to play the crap out of this game yeah we did and uh, just going going back to it, uh, yeah, I don't know. It probably wouldn't be that bad if it was more streamlined, but like literally in the game that we played, I was rolling and not getting any for a very long time. It was very frustrating. And I was rolling and just buying stuff I didn't even want <laughs> because I was just trying to do something. Yeah. So if we take a step back, though, we should probably tell for people who don't know what Mashi Koro is. Yeah, I don't think it's worth the time. Okay, good. 
<laughs> I don't think we have to explain every game, anyway, especially if it's a game that we. Don't anyway, care cards. About There's a lot of cards, and you yeah. buy them, and you yeah. do things. Basically, a, it's basically a dice game that could be better, but. Yeah. So the reason why I suggested playing this game is because I've been seeing a lot of posts on people playing and purchasing Machi Koro Legacy. So I kind of got the hankering to want to play. So I, yeah, I wonder if. I wonder if that Machikoro Legacy kind of fixes what is wrong with the original game, which is not a lot of action in between turns, and to tell you the truth, not a lot of not a lot of interaction between players unless you're closing other people's cards down, which is their right. buildings or whatever. Which is really all you were doing to me. Yeah. But um, I don't know, and I don't remember being. Maybe this was just a really bad. Game, I don't really remember it being like this, yeah. but I think probably because we're getting a little bit heavier into games mm-hmm. and having a little bit more underneath our belts than we did, what, five years ago or something yeah. like that is probably when we really got in this game. Because I really, we played this game a lot. Yeah, we did. Back then, and we really liked it. In fact, Logan loved it, and we didn't play with him yesterday, but I think that's kind of why I had a hankering for it, and I'm like, uh. I don't know if I'd want to play Legacy, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah. Anyway, so th- there's that. Yeah, that's kind of where I got that that idea to want to play the Ridge. Yeah. And we've been trying to bring back the older games that we've had mm-hmm. in our collection, oldies but goodies. Speaking of oldies but goodies, we also brought back a game we haven't played in, I would say, a couple of years. Sagrada. That was one that we were, I don't want to say obsessed with, but it was one that we really liked and wanted to play, and that was one that we played yesterday Mm -hmm. also. Beautiful game of dice rolling and placing your dice in uh, certain spots based on your stained glass window Mm -hmm. with your color restrictions and your dice placement restrictions and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. That game's by Floodgate Games, Mm -hmm. and... I really still like that game a lot. Yeah, I think this is a this is a game that I think fills the void of like your Machikoro, where Machikoro is a dice game that doesn't have a lot of involvement in it. Where this one I think does. Some people will complain, including John. Hi, John from Legends Tabletop, that you're just playing against yourself and not really anybody else. But really, if you use those tool cards, you can you know use your um, can't remember what those gems are called to use them, but you, favor are they favor tokens? Favor tokens, I think Something that's like what that? they are. Yep, to kind of manipulate your boards and stuff like that, and that kind of makes other people have to pay more in favor tokens if they want to use it after you've used it too. You know, it kind of multiplies it by however many gems are on there. So well, and I think that when we played it too, because you're drafting dice in this game, depending on who's drafting, whoever pulls the dice up. I was going to say shuffles them, <laughs> um, rolls them and gets to pick first. And then the sec or the next player, because we've played it two players, the next player takes one die and then they take another one. And then it goes back to the first player again. You can kind of mess with that other person mm-hmm. because if they need a specific color or a specific number, because we played the highest pattern card that we slid into our glass window peen or whatever i mean i didn't intentionally do this to you but i grabbed i think a die that would have worked best for you 
which made you play one of those gems or the mm-hmm. favor tokens or whatever yeah. they were to kind of reduce the number of victory points that you had at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, I think between the mix of the tool cards and the interaction between players with the dice drafting and stuff like that, there's a little more interaction. And this is something I, I see myself going to more. Plus it's a, just a beautiful game. I love going back to it just for that too. Well, and I like it cause it's the thinky game too. Mm-hmm. Cause it doesn't stress me out, but it makes me think a lot in respect of, okay, so now I can't have the, same two colors next to each other can have the same two numbers next to each other but based on the cards that were flipped you also want to match certain criteria also if you want to have a full row where you're never having the same numbers or if you want to have one through six on your board in would that be a set set of one through six however many times to score Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing too, you're really trying to figure all of that out while you're playing, which makes it more of a challenge. Yeah. So I can see where John's talking about it being kind of a singular game, but I think it incorporates, you can mess with the other players too mm-hmm. by taking dice that may not matter to you, but it could totally mess with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what um, what else did we play? Another one we got to play, which is a is a short and quick game, is Herbaceous by Pencil First Games. This game is designed by Eduardo Baraf and Steve Finn, and then art by Beth Sobel. Uh, this is a game that I like bringing out. It's funny because we got all these, we've got all of these smaller games in this little uh, drawer that we have now, and and I don't see them anymore because they're in drawers, you know. So. You know, I felt I felt like when we were talking about playing something smaller, I was like, went through all the drawers and I found this. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about how fun this game is. You know, mm-hmm. it's a game basically we basic basically basically <laughs> where you are planting certain flowers, herbs. Oh yeah, herbaceous. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're planting certain herbs in pots and getting points for it. So like one pot, it's however many of different types you can get in that one pot. One of them is how many pairs of the same Herb. different pairs of herbs that you could put in one. And then one of them's like special herbs. And the other one was all the same herb, all the same herb. Yep. And then depending upon how many you have under those pots is how many points you get. Well, the cool thing is, is when you're drawing these cards, it's like you take one, you put it into your personal garden, and then you take another one and you put it into the community garden. And then once you're potting, Depending upon what's in your personal garden and what's on the community garden, you can actually combine both if you'd like or use one or another to do that pot and score different points that way. And it's it's funny because it's like, like there's like really not a lot to this game, really. And then you decide, oh, I'm going to put this in my private garden. The next one you draw, you're like, damn it. That was the one I really wanted mm-hmm. in my private garden not this one. Mm-hmm. I should have flip-flopped them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's too late. You can't. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, something like that. And then once you plant, you can't plant more. Yeah. Once you choose to plant, say, I think five is the most pairs. I, or no, I don't. I think five is the most of one herb I'm going to be able to collect. And I don't want to push my luck anymore because I don't want any one to grab the ones I'm going to start collecting or whatever. Once you plant them, that pot is done. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can continue to toss them in there either. So yeah. you kind of have to plan that out too. Yeah. So yeah, so it's an interesting game. It, 
you know, it feel it feels like one of those that you know, there's not really a similar. You can't really have that much of a similar game every time you play. It's a little different every time with, uh, with sometimes if you do the you know different strategies and stuff like that. But yeah, I really like it. It's it's one of those that I'm not I'm not ever disappointed with. You know, you know a lot of people might think it's too simple, but I sometimes you kind of like that. I kind of like just going in and just playing a game that I don't have to think for like a million hours. Like oh, what do I need to do with this? move now you know yeah so right and then that brings us into our last now playing game which was new to us we found it at gen con for a smashing deal we got it pre-sunday deals for 25 bucks we got mexico by yellow games and super meeple So, with the game Mexica, basically you have, I'm going to eliminate any technical terminology that they have in this game, but you have these, each player is presented with these little guys, or these guys. Yeah, it's like a little meeple guy. Kind of, yep. And then they're also given temples, Mm -hmm. I believe. Yep. And they're of different sizes and points to be able to build them so there are one two three and four level temples there's also um canals which are two spaces worth and one space worth where you're not given them but you're able to use them and then there's also bridges so the point of the game is basically the whole board is an island and you're taking your guy and your goal is to create districts throughout this island. And um, so there are pieces where the district that you might want to be able to build has to be eight spaces. So the island is divided into squares. And so as you're playing, you can um, you are able to take six actions throughout each of your turns. And you can use your actions to take canals, basically these water, these basically waterways, to put um, the water on the board to start blocking off these districts. So then you'd want to kind of count out each of the squares to to put these pieces on there. And um, you can use the actions um, more than once. So if you want to put out multiple canals to section off, uh, to begin sectioning off a district, you can do that. You can um, grab a bridge from the supply where you can place them on the canals. And you can use these bridges to move fr- across a canal from one piece of land to the, to the other. Or you can move from one bridge to the other. And that helps you move throughout the canal faster. Or you can take your temple and you, once in a district, can place a temple so that later on in the game you can score more points. But based on the size temple that you're using, you're going to have to subtract that from your action moves. So if you're placing a temple that is a number two temple, so they show like pips on the top of them, then you're going to have to subtract that from your six actions. So then you're down four. So basically, let's say in my turn, I'm going, I want to, my goal is to block off a eight square district. Once I block off the eight square district, 
any other player can come in and try to basically take over that district also. Definitely. If they're in that district, they then they also reap the benefit of those points of scoring. So there's these little tiles and they don't count any uh, count towards any action points, but they basically have one large number that tells you how big the district needs to be. And I think the biggest district we saw that that would be kind of a goal through the game would be 13. Yeah, I think the highest one we had. And the smallest one was like three. Mm -hmm. And you lay that for no action at all, but you have to lay it on one of the squares. And that can't, once it's laid down, it can't be moved again. But that's laid. And then, so there's that number. And then there's two other numbers on that piece of... That token, basically. Yeah, it's like a Kapuli token, I think is what it's called. Yeah, and <laughs> so that's laid, and then there's another number to the on the bottom left and another number on the bottom right. And the first number on the bottom left is how many points you score if you're the first one to... They basically call it establishing that neighborhood. So it you are kind of... It is kind of like we talked about it as being kind of a district, but I, th- I think it's weird because the... In the instructions, it almost t- it talks about being a district, but being a neighborhood too. So I think they're kind of one and another. Yeah. So I think that blue part, that blue number, is like whoever laid it down first gets that first blue number. Yep. And then I think if somebody else is in there, forgive us because we've only played this once. The other one gets the other point value. Yeah, the for yellow them. number on the bottom right. Yep. And then and then you go around until um, all of those. Kapuli, did you call them Kapuli tokens? Kapuli tokens, yeah. Until all those are placed around throughout um, to create those neighborhoods or those districts. It doesn't matter if, well, somebody's tokens are going to be gone. It doesn't matter if all of Kurt's, not tokens, temples, all of Kurt's temples are gone or if mine are gone. Like when we were playing, I placed all my temples. He didn't place all his temples, Mm -hmm. so his temples just get moved on to the next period. So there's two periods. The first period, you start with like 10 temples or something. The second one, you have seven. And then, um, but before you move into the second period, you do some scoring. So as you're moving your, the point score around the tracker, then you're going to look at all the districts that are there and you're going to look at all of the temples that are placed I think they then you're scoring for grandeur, I think is what they say. That's it. Yep. Yep. And so you'll look at the first district and you'll see, okay, so who placed temples in this? Okay, did Tracy place temples or, or place a temple in here? Okay, hers is two high. Kurtz is three high. So now we're gonna look at that Kapuli token and we're gonna we're gonna review those numbers on there. Now there's the three the three numbers, the tall, the tallest, the biggest number on there. So let's go back to that district that I talked about with the 13. So we have 13 and whatever number is on the bottom left and whatever number is on the bottom right. So they're kind of like try numbers. And so since Kurt placed the highest or the, the biggest amount of grandeur or the most temple points in there, he gets the top most number during this period. Yep. So he's going to move on the scoring track. Um, Because we're only playing a two-player game, I'm actually going to get the second one. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to get the points that they notated on the bottom left. And then I'm going to move up on the track. We're going to go through every single district that we um, 
placed on that period and we're going to score. Then once that's done, we're going to basically collect um, the other temples that we haven't placed yet. And then Kurt's going to use the other temple, uh, his other ones too. So he's going to have a few more because he hasn't placed them all. And then we're going to go and continue to establish more districts because we've used all those other Kupuli tokens. There's more to place no. to lay down and we're going to continue to place more districts. At some point, you're probably not going to be able to section off everything because when we ran into this too, there isn't going to be enough canals to place to section stuff off. Um, if you run out of bridges, you can move your bridges to other areas to move your guys to different locations, those types of things. But you can't move your canals or your waterways anywhere else. So as a group or as a whole, when you're playing the game, you have to decide that this, um, we can't meet the conditions of this Kapuli token. Mm -hmm. And then, so the game may be done once everyone's taken their turns mm -hmm. based on who started. And then you score again for all of the um, districts. And then whoever has the most points wins. Yeah. And then one thing that we kind of screwed up on too at the end, which we didn't that we ended up not having scored points for is that the siphoned off part that didn't have any any temples in there that didn't we did the spaces where we couldn't establish districts if you actually have a temple in there then you, you get a certain amount of points depending upon how many squares are left there we didn't screw up on that we just didn't have any i yeah yeah, yeah. i'm just oh. saying like we i don't think we ever looked at that and we're like oh we should have done that oh no because you know? we we ended up watching a how to how to play video yeah. and they didn't talk about yeah. that and then another thing that we didn't score on which is another thing you can do at the end is if you're one of your meeples is at the temple which is this kind of like x or t looking thing in the middle of the board if you have them there at the end of the game you get an extra five yep. victory points there so so I'd like to play this game again. It's a lot of detail, and it's obviously, as you can tell from me trying to explain it, it is pretty hard to explain without actually seeing it. Yeah. And I just didn't want to use the technical terminology mm -hmm. because, um, number one, I can't remember it all, and mm. number two, um, it might be easier to use what we... I don't know. Might be easier to use the words temple and meeple and yeah, stuff exactly. Like that. You don't have to be all technical with like the background and stuff like that, even though it is kind of a cool story. It but, is, um, but yeah, just after playing this game once, like I really want to play it again. Well, and what was cool about it, I think, is the the components, like the temples, yeah, the are temples not are... cheap. They almost look like they're stone. Yeah, they're, they're not, but they're like pretty badass. Yeah, they're amazing looking. They're heavy, you know, good bits. Mm -hmm. But again, with the str. Uh, but with like the strategy of the game, like there's a lot going on here and trying to figure out, you know, okay, how many spaces do I need to make this? And oh no, I can't, if I don't, if I make this, then I'm screwing myself out of this. And, you know, I don't want to try to establish a neighborhood or a district or whatever before you come over and you could like swipe off some mm -hmm. points from me and stuff like that. You know, uh, I've also, I don't know if I'll ever do this, but I'd always, I would almost like to play this three or four players just to right. see how that would shape out too. Well, and with that being said, there is a two player variant too, which we incorporated where you add some of those temples on the board ahead of time. Yeah. Act like is a third player kind of like stickler or whatever. Yeah. So that made it kind of interesting because it added a little bit more oomph to the board. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. 
but I really enjoyed it. I want to play it again. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Mexico, and that leads into our topic, yeah. our German topic, and I'm not even going to... Tr- well, okay, it's not our German topic. I was going to say it's not a German topic. Um, or, but I'm not or going, is it? Or is it? I'm not going to be able to do any sort of German accent. <laughs> but it leads into one or two of the designers that we will discuss... Who happen to be German? Mm, that right. is terrible. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So great. I love it. But yeah, Michael Kiesling. Yeah, that's right. What's the other guy's name? Wolfgang. Wolfgang Kramer. Kramer. Yeah. So basically, we're. Ta- I wanted to just talk about like you know, what makes a good designer? Um, is it something where if you have 200 tiles, does that make you a a good designer? You know, is it you know, if you have one critically acclaimed game, but then you have a bunch of not so many good games, you know, does that make you a good designer? I just, I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, man, that's a, that's an interesting thing. And I think it all just kind of depends upon our personalities and what we think is good and not so good and stuff like that. Cause there's all these people that are out there that make all these wonderful games that other people like other people can't stand, you know, like we just talked about Machi Koro, like we were just in love with that game, and now it's just for some reason it just doesn't really hit with us. But well, you, but but you end up at a different place. Yeah, yeah, in your life, you know, like talking about like Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling, like uh, Wolfgang like has made some really good games, like Mexico we just talked about with Michael Kiesling, Six Nimit, which is a game that I really enjoy that Dan introduced introduced us to, which was really cool. It's a card game. Yep. Uh, El Grande, which I have, we have the El Grande big pox just staring us in the face right now. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's crazy to think like, those are some really good games, but you know what? There's probably also some games out there that, that Wolfgang's made that, you know, just aren't maybe that, that fantastic. But like, to me, in my eyes, like just those games, Six Nimit, Mexico and El Grande, like that, that to me says like, he's a good designer because those games resonate with a lot of people like El Grande anytime anybody I mean in my circle of people that I know like anytime I've said El Grande people are like oh such a good game I love that game you know but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a good designer but in my eyes I think that you know that makes it because I like you know three of his games and I like them a lot Uh, another one is Michael Kiesling which we were just talking about too he uh, helped make Mexico with Wolfgang Kramer. He also made a couple of recent games that are uh, really... That, that you may have heard of. That you may have heard of, yep. One that we just got for a super deal, Heaven and Ale. So I'm really excited to play that one. And Azul. All the Azul games are Michael Kiesling's. So Is Stained Glass of Sintra Even too? Stained Glass of Sintra. Ooh. Uh, even the summer one that's coming out here pretty soon. Ooh. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's... But what is it? What does it mean? Um, does it mean that they, when they pair together, Wolfgang and Michael, or Mr. Kramer and Mr. Kiesling, <laughs> when they pair together, they make even better things? Yeah, I mean, it- well, not necessarily because Michael has all the Azul and Wolfgang isn't part of them. Yeah, yeah. So, so we know that Michael is the. The better of the two. No, oh, really. shit. No, I'm just kidding. Ooh. <laughs> that was a jab to Wolfgang. Yeah. 
I was trying, gonna try to German accent there, and I just yeah, yeah, don't. Sorry, guys, I'm not gonna put you through that. Um, another person that I think is like everybody just thinks of when you're thinking of a designer that's made a ton of games, like Reiner Knizia. Reiner Knizia has made like, like, what three million board games? I don't. Yeah, that's probably not it. But whoa, he's made a ton. That's a big number. But in in my eyes, like even though he probably is a good designer, like I just I don't care for his games as much as I do like other people's like like I really dig like Reiner Stockhausen because I love Orleans like that is my favorite game ever you know and then when he came out with Altiplano I was like oh Altiplano I can't wait you know and it's very similar to Orleans but like it just hits my wheelhouse so I'm like oh he's a pretty good designer you know and even though he had I I would like to play a game of his that is outside of the bag building game that's not Orleans or Altiplano, you know, then, you know, maybe, maybe that would change my mind. But have we played other games by Reiner Stockhausen? I don't think we have. <laughs> what, if we go back to Reiner Knizia? Reiner Knizia. I don't know. I, oh, that, we, we. Yeah, I think I just offended is, everybody by doing Yeah, that, we're sorry. I, I apologize. So what has he done? What has he done? You don't know? I... I know him as I know I'm familiar with that name, but for some reason we're name dropping so much that I'm like, Ugh. okay, that has come up so much this week. What are you, Tim Allen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> God, so totally terrible. Tim Allen. Tim Allen? Was he a good designer? No. For of furniture? Maybe. Maybe. Board games? No. Okay, so Sorry. here are some of the games that he's been known for. To tell you the truth, you you and I all have not played too many of them. Quest for Eldorado is a very good one. That's one we've played that we really like. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones that are in his line that every that a lot of people seem to enjoy are like Taj Mahal, Through the Desert, Tiggy's T- <laughs> Medici, uh, Samurai. But yeah, he is just this guy. Three million, he yes, said. Yes, three million board three games. Three bajillion. Yes. And counting. But yeah, he's had a ton of critically acclaimed games that I, you know, unfortunately, the only game that I, that I, that I like is Quest for Eldorado. Okay, now, we haven't played that many games by him, but. Well, maybe the only game that we own. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. backtrack and say the only game we yeah, own. The only game we own. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's it's all a part of, you know, what people think. Like, we asked on and Facebook and Twitter, and I, we got a, a couple of really good responses, which I really enjoyed. Uh, we asked on our Facebook page, and uh, Mike Promo from Path of Play, he says, uh, someone who is not afraid to explore different themes and especially mechanisms. I suppose above all else... They can execute the intent. And then another one, another thing, I, I lo- another question of which I asked, and I think this, I don't know, I don't think I said it in this episode, but I said, if somebody makes 10 really good games and then someone take, makes 10 really bad games, does that make them a good designer? And uh, Mike said that, uh, he's like, uh, he said yes, and I'll play the good games, just like how I listen to the good Rush songs and not the bad ones, which I think is pretty awesome. So, you know, and then I said, are there any good Rush songs? <laughs> don't hit me with tomatoes. Uh, don't at her. Um. Um, but I just thought of this as I was looking around. <laughs> Did you just look at my phone? 
Well, I just looked at your phone, but I also have it in my notes. You do? I do. That's why we're meant to be, everyone. <laughs> oh, hearts. Everybody just threw up on their computer. And their I phone. didn't look at his notes, so I just was thinking about this. So um, that's kind of creepy, actually. Where was I going with this? So what I was just thinking as I was looking around the room was the whole 10 bad games, 10 good game thing, but not with 10 as the example. So, designer Ryan Lauk... La- what? Laukat. Why did I not know how to say his uh, name? I don't him? know. Ryan Laukat. Ryan Laukat. Oh, Ryan Laukat, we met you, yeah, he, Ryan. He's not, he's not German. He's no. a very nice guy, though. Anyway, so, from Red Raven Games. Made Above and Below, made... Uh, Near and Far. Near and Far. Islebound. All those games. But Which he also... Which are good. Also made a game called Klondike Rush. Was once in our collection. Is no more. <laughs> we hated that game. Yeah. It was it, it was one of those games that I thought could be a really good concept, but it was... I don't know. I just think it was poorly executed, and then they had a... Uh, I can't remember. Like I, the I don't bidding, know and there was some weird bidding and stuff like that. Cool, cool components to it cool look to it cool look to it we were really excited i think that was the year we that you got to meet him at gen con and you were like a little girl (laughs) um excited about it um it's getting a 6.5 on bgg yeah which which hey which is not bad no but um maybe those um 311 people only looked at the game. Anyway. Um, well, and the first copy we got, too, was kind of like a first publishing where it had an... I'm never. I'm not going to say this right. The, an errata. Where it's... Or errata, where it's it was the some uh, instruction Like change. an amendment to yeah. basically the rules. So, obviously... So, automatically, I'm thinking, okay they already kind of screwed up on how this game should be played. So maybe they made a second edition of it and kind of cleaned up everything and made it a little more streamlined, but it just, it didn't speak to us. So we well, got rid of it. Ours is at Goodwill. If you want it, come to Wisconsin. I, d- I doubt it's at Goodwill anymore. I bet you somebody bought it. Uh, they might not have put it out yet. We'll see. Anyway, I just thought of that as I was looking around going, games, games, designers. Whoa, totally. It came to me right away. Another comment that we got on Twitter, which I thought was a good, pretty good one by uh, Josh Capel. You may know him from Kids Table, but also he's designed a few designed a few good games himself, including Paper Rock Wizard. <laughs> but uh, he said, "I know, I know, I think someone is a good designer when I see that game is by them before I know anything about it and assume that it'll be good." That's a that's a good way to do it because you know, with like, you know, like your Jamie Stegmeyer's and your um, Matt Leacock. Matt Leacock and stuff like that. You Day in and day out, you can pretty much bet on that they're going to make a really good game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I love that idea of just seeing some something by a person and being like, okay, this is this will be something that I can check out. You know, not necessarily maybe it's something you're going to buy right away, but maybe it's something you could play and then decide if you like it. Because there are, there are designers out there, too, that I really like that they've, you know, they've made a game and it's like, ah. Uh, I really, should, really wish I would have tried this before I bought it because it's just not in my wheelhouse. Well, that's going back to Klondike Rush. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Ryan Lowcat, his game, we were really fan of his games yeah. that he designed. Yeah. And then we should have tried it. Yeah, yeah, we really should have. But we got excited. Yeah. It was our first year at Gen Con, yeah. was it? Uh, no, that was our second year, okay. I think. Well, either way, we got very excited. It, anyway, it doesn't matter. It could be our 10th year we'd be really excited because we just love well, agreed. doing that. But, I mean, it was one of those things, you mm-hmm. know. He had a track record for making games that we really cared for, and then all of a sudden, boom. But not every game can always be that great. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, what do you guys think? Is it something where... You know, is there names out there that you're that you trust that you're like every single time I will buy their games or you know try them at least like my games, <laughs> or are there people out there that you know the world really enjoys, but like maybe you're just like yeah you know I just don't I mean I I don't want to talk about them in a negative way but just is there are there people out there that you're just like yeah I just for some reason or not, I'm just not as a big fan. Don't at them. Just tell us. <laughs> You're just not drawn to their games as much. And yeah. everybody has their own opinion on certain types of games. That's right. That's right. And, and that's okay. designers, they're not for everybody. That's true. That's you know, true. going back to Monte Coro, somebody probably flipping loves that game yeah. right now. And we did we at just, one point too. Yeah. We just don't like it yeah. right now. Yeah. But yeah, let us know what you think in the comments on uh, Facebook and at MFGCast on Twitter. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, I'm Kurt. And I'm Tracy. And this was the MFGCast. Bye, everyone. Legends of Tabletop Podcast. Creating legends one die at a time.